Hello, movie lovers. Welcome home. My name is Amy Hinsterling, and you are listening to Watch This List. This is the Hidden Gym series, and today we have very special guest, Jacob, who is Boat of Raw, a very intriguing handle, I must say, uh, on Letterboxd, uh, whom I found from a connection to my buddy Yarb, who said, you have to read this guy. I think um, because Yarb knew that I'm into poetry uh, and an English major that I would immediately like Jacob's uh, writing because you are a poet, Jacob, and you kind of have that aesthetic with your writing. Yeah, that's uh, what I write mostly is is poems. And um, I started writing on Letterboxd kind of unintentionally. I really just started the account to uh, keep track of the movies I was watching during the pandemic. And, um, but then there were so many interesting, you know, Yarb included writers um, saying interesting things about these movies that I felt, you know, kind of compelled to write a paragraph or two in, in response to, you know, what I was watching and it, it became kind of a fun, um, you know, sentence writing exercise for me on some level. And, you know, you mentioned being an English major, just having some kind of, yeah, you know, hour and a half or two hour text to analyze is, is, you know, one of the things I really love about watching movies, you know? Yeah. And you always, one staple or like signature of yours is that they're always around the same length. You don't normally, you don't normally write super lengthy reviews, right? They're, they're yeah. always pretty concise. Yeah. I try to, I try to, we, we usually, if I watch a film, it'll be, you know, after the baby goes to sleep and, mm -hmm. and then I'll try and write it between the end of the movie and going to sleep myself, which is sometimes not a very long period of time. So, yeah. um, that's, th these are the, the formal constraints of, of most of the things I write. Occasionally, if it's ve something very complicated or I don't, ha I feel like I want to write something, but I don't know what it is yet. I'll wait mm -hmm. until the next day and, um, and think about it more, sleep on it, you know, but, but mostly that's where that stuff comes from. Well, and I would think that actually being a poet, um, like not just sort of in your spare time, but actually like a published poet would re it would have an effect on the way that you would shape things too, just because that is, that is an exercise in precision and condensing and, and being very, very clear in a short period of time, what you mean and having punches in certain places like that would affect. Yeah, I think too, so right? for sure. Yeah. Just trying to, to you know, get um, what you want to say in some kind of efficient form. I think that's, you know, what, and, and I, I said, you know, sort of practice or something like that. I, I, you know, sometimes like anybody, I feel like I should be writing more, um, and don't, you know, because I have a job and things like this that keep me from doing it. Um, right. and so this is a nice excuse to, to do it, you know, and sometimes if, um, it feels that way to, to watch a film, even that you, that you think like, well, not, you know, I'm, I'm doing something intellect. I'm not just, you know, watching television. I'm doing something intellectual and I'm going to write about it. You know, it's a, it's right. nice, nice. I think for that reason, Letterboxd has, has been a good, um, motivator for that reason, I think. Yeah. And it helps to, to be able to talk about movies, not just, uh, not just writing about anything, but writing about movies in particular. Yeah. Um, okay. So what, so for his, for Jacob's hidden gems, the original thing that he said to me was that he wanted to do movies about trains and trains was going to be like the emphasis. And then the, the options that you sent me, it kind of like, changed a little bit to noir but this first one that you picked actually is on a train so you combine both <laughs> both the emphases together uh right yeah but why did you want to do trains initially i'm curious why that came to your mind uh i like uh i think the 
industry term for this is can pictures. So like movies that take place in one, uh, like a submarine movie or a train movie, movies that take place in one kind of form of conveyance. I don't know why exactly, but I'd like, um, I like that sort of formal aspect of, of those movies or haunted house movies, I think fit that, that, um, description. So, so, you know, a film that takes place all in one setting. And if it's a vehicle, I especially like that for some reason, but, um, yeah. Like the so claustrophobia, but then also like it's moving. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. something in, in a submarine movie too, I'm always compelled by the, device element of the setting that it's both a you know a, a device that they're manipulating and operating as it is a, a sort of a home as it is a um you know a vehicle all that 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 all that is the case at the same time is is compelling to me and that so the train has that um that aspect to it i don't know that there's another i get i mean strangers on a train um mm -hmm has noir elements. I don't know if there's another kind of specifically train focused noir film, but narrow margin is very much that, you know? Yes. And I, it's probably the best one of, of the options. Like, I feel like it, even if there is another tr train noir, I don't think it could beat the narrow margin. So this is the first one. It is the narrow margin from 1952 directed by uh, Richard Fleischer uh, it does, the whole thing takes place on a train. Um, how would you describe this movie to someone who hasn't seen it, Jacob? Noir that takes place on a train. Obviously we got that. Um, <laughs> it, got that. Uh, I think, well, I think what interests me about the movie, um, other than that, it's a great, just sort of example of, you know, hard boiled dialogue, uh, Marie Windsor, Charles McGraw kind of, um, teeing off on one another is a great sort of element of the, of, of the film 70 minutes B picture, you know, all of those things are, are great about it. But I think it also um, in terms of subtext is a really interesting reflection of sort of identity. There's a lot of mm. interesting staging in the film around the kind of space of the train Um and these little kind of domestic rooms and, and spheres that they all move through and bump up against. There are all these scenes in which, um, you know, Charles McGraw, who, who plays a, a, a cop who's escorting a, a, who he thinks is a gangster's wife to go testify uh, mm -hmm. on a train from Chicago to Los Angeles. And there are, um, there are hit men on the train as well, trying to identify this, um, this woman, no one knows what she looks like is sort of, uh, introduced at the beginning of the film, the cops included until they, you know, go to this hotel room and, and pick her up basically. Right. And so the, there, there's this conversation at the beginning between Charles McGraw and his partner about, you know, what does she look like? What do you expect that she will look like? And there's this great phrase about a, this, a, a dish with poison under the gravy, something like that. Um, <laughs> that they, they have this sort of idea that of, of what a, of, of the kind of woman that marries a, a, a hood, a, a hood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, what kind of dame marries a hood, right? Tencent right. Dame or something like that. Tencent yeah. Dame. And, uh, and, and, you know, there, it seems weird to sort of talk about spoilers for a movie that's, uh, you know, 70 years old or whatever, but it, it, it is a movie that I think you said this, uh, in, in your write up about it on Letterboxd is good to go into without, you know, knowing, knowing a, lo a lot about the plot. So, um, yeah. but, you know, with, so with that in mind, um, uh, I'll, I'll talk about some of that stuff or I'll, I'll maybe spoil some things, but, um, but permission, I feel like I feel okay. This is a different conversation maybe, but I sort of feel okay about spoil or I don't, I'm not a, not yes. very concerned about spoilers in my own life, in I your guess. Your own life. Yeah. I think sometimes knowing what happens helps you appreciate something in a more, I don't know, you're, you're analyzing it 
and not just waiting to find out what happens as you watch through a first time or as you read through a first time. I get maybe that's just me, but um, right. I don't mind okay. having something spoiled. So, um, so uh, the the a lot of the film just it, it kind of deals with mistaken identity, basically. So their their uh their version of what a criminal's wife would look like or what they assume a criminal's wife looks like turns out to be uh wrong by way of the plot that the 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 woman they pick up is is actually an undercover cop who's testing them to make sure that they're not on the take um and 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 it all of this so it, it right 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 um and and that theme kind of carries through the rest of the movie he runs into um you know uh what turns out to be a child's nanny that he assumes is the child's mother and he, he runs into a, a you know a woman that he sort of develops a flirtatious relationship with on the train who turns out to be the gangster's wife and so the the film kind of delights i think in in you know setting all these pieces into play on the train and allowing these kind of mistakes of identity almost in a in a in the way that Shakespeare comedies do where you know there are these sort of um accidents that that move the plot forward um that have to do with the assumptions the social assumptions that that the characters are making about about the world basically um and so that's i think what what ha makes what's otherwise just a great um, a very entertaining, you know, crime film. Um, what kind of elevates it to me into a, into a sort of interesting commentary about identity um, in, in that time and place, especially. Right. Cause you are like, you've seen so many noirs. It's one of your favorite genres, right? If not yet, like that's, that's something that you've seen quite a bit of. So for you to select these two, I feel like, says a lot in the grand scheme of noir, not just these are two movies that you feel like everybody should have seen. Yeah. It's also, um, you have a real good sense of the genre as a whole. Yeah. I think there, there's an idea um, of noir as a sort of a, a genre and as a, um, a story that involves a private detective and it involves a femme fatale and these, these types of things. And, and, you know, the, there are many great films that that is a description of. Um, but I've always been sort of interested in it more as a kind of a, um, a stylistic and thematic, um, maybe more abstract concept that's tied to that, um, that time and place. And the idea of sort of, um identity and doubling there are a lot of noirs that have the movie hollow triumph um is a great example of this where, where they're just sort of doubled characters often it's women the women in the film where there will be two characters that kind of look alike uh, oh oh yeah. yeah yeah um and uh you know what what's happening in the in in the films of that era often seems to me at least and, and to my kind of reading of them to be you know about this kind of fracturing of morality post-world war ii where people are you know kind of coming you know that in those films you know made in, in the late 40s early 50s you know often this is not stated explicitly but you know all of these men um who's who you know often are kind of ghosted by some kind of shadowy past or something like that they would they would be veterans you know they they largely would have been um would have been soldiers in the last few years of their lives and and so the the kind of um trauma of that and the 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 way that they've been sort of changed and shaped by that um and come back into this world that now looks very different you know visually those films i think are 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 kind of representing that a lot of the time um, that we're seeing, you know, so these, how did you find the narrow um, margin? Yeah, no, uh, I, I got a, a graduate degree from the university of Georgia um, that was, that was in about poetry, but there was a modernist scholar at the, at, at that school who 
um, was just obsessed with noir and and taught this class in, in which we kind of read a lot of the novels of that era and um and watched a lot of these films and this was not part of the the class syllabus but he gave us a long uh, this was like i think the only syllabus that i ever thought i need to save this I, i'm not i will not recycle this at the end of the uh semester and um I have it in a drawer here somewhere. It was in this movie was on there, I think. Um, and I remember watching it, um, when, when I was still in the class and just thinking it was great, you know, um, and often I was motivated by, this was a kind of a great homework. You're what you're supposed to watch a movie before the, before the next class or whatever. And, um, I was, I think largely motivated by how short it was at the time that this, this would be an easy one to, to kind of get through. But then, um, it it was so interesting and entertaining that um you know it stood out to me i think in in uh in uh some stiff competition we watched a lot of great or i saw a lot of great films for the first time that year out of the past um maybe being the best and um kiss of death and um kiss me deadly you know all these great titles um but was that was that say- was what ex- the t- the titles are so enticing. It's like Jello, where they're kind of these like very fun um, paperback novel titles that are like just sound like you're gonna have a good time just by the way that that they're structured. Right, and it sometimes even doesn't really have anything to do with the film itself. I know, uh, but but that's sort of you know the narrow margin. In this movie, I was trying to think about what what is the margin exactly, um, and, and maybe there is sort of an, an an abstract idea that I am kind of interested in, where it's like, well, the, there's not there's not that much difference between a cop and a criminal. Maybe there's not that much difference between um, a, a a mother and the the wife of a a, a gangster. You know, that these things are blurred in the in the world of the of the film. Um, but I don't know, you know, it, it also seems like <clears throat> that might just be kind of a, you know, reference to timetables on trains or something like that. I'm not, you know, I'm not, it could be both, I think. Yeah, no, it's a great title. And I, um, I feel like this is one that not a lot of people have heard of and is definitely not on their radar. Uh, so definitely deserves a watch. I loved the, the lead. I, I wish that he, I mean, he was actually in a ton of movies, but not, not really as like the main guy. Usually he's like in the background somewhere. Yeah. He's usually some kind of, some kind of heavy working for the, 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 the criminal in the film or, um, mm-hmm. or a kind of backup cop or something like that. Um, yeah, he's right. great. And the movie was, I wrote down some things that, you know, I kind of, Looked, I didn't know that much about the background of the film, but it was sh- shot in 13 days for $250,000. Wow. Um, and this was a, it was an RKO film. So Howard Hughes uh, was studio head at that time. And so, and watched the film and loved it apparently, and then did what he did to a lot of movies at that time, produced like 13 pages of rewrites that he wanted, including he asked, uh, Richard Fleischer, if it would be possible to reshoot all of Charles McGraw and Marie Windsor's scenes with um, Robert Mitchum and Jane Russell. And, you know, these just kind of insane questions. And the the movie was made in 1950, but didn't come out until 1952 because of all this craziness. Um, And so it's kind of a, a, a miracle that the movie was allowed to stay the way that it is because uh, Hughes was sort of famous for, mangling these films after they were made um and and you know doing he also wanted you know the the end of the film which is this really great you know sort of complicated shot of uh charles mcgraw is looking out the window and his face is reflected back in the window into the window of the next car which is reflecting the the car in his train that he's uh, trying to shoot somebody in. It's a very, very sort of um, rich image. And of course, Hughes wanted this to, you know, be cut and turn into just a a crazy kind of shootout with a bunch of cops and a bunch of gangsters and and become a very over the top um, 
thing Shoot which out. Yeah, yeah which d- does not did not occur uh kind of fortunately for all of us um <laughs> but it's uh yeah one of those um you know it's a it's it is a a b movie is short and and meant to be you know kind of paired with something else probably on a on a on a bill um but i think it's you know really one of the great movies that fits that description i do too everyone see it the narrow margin by it was remade remade oh yeah and it was remade with, yeah, with gene, gene hackman. hackman i think yeah. i haven't seen it but i'm sure you know i'm i'm sure uh, uh you know I'm sure it's worth seeing on some level if it's a, some kind of restaging of the of, of the plot it's a great plot um for that kind of thing so yeah my buddy kurt uh is the person that sort of um made me aware of this because he logged the narrow margin remake and gave it five stars and what like loved it and um I'd, i never heard of it and then he was like oh he actually hadn't seen the original he had just seen the remake so we got to both watch the remake now and then compare i don't know how it could be better but it could be probably just different yeah absolutely and just appreciated differently i gotta see a train movie if it's a train movie i gotta see it. i know i know it's the preoccupation so okay so narrow margin the second movie that you picked is actually in your like top four faves which is why i really really wanted to see it i'm so glad i did because it was excellent raw deal is the name of it 1948 by directed by anthony mann the poster is awesome uh as a lot of these are but especially raw deal um this one i just loved um it's just got so much going for it the screenplay is fantastic uh set this up for us tell us uh how it opens because the opening is just a great setup especially yeah it's a a a starts with uh claire trevor who you know is like one of the all-time great kind of uh you know golden age actresses she's in all uh, you know a bunch of film noir but um she she has this great um voiceover in the movie uh that is backed by this um theremin soundtrack or theremin score and I don't, I, I didn't write down the, the name of the, um, the, the person who wrote that score, but it's really striking and unusual for a film like this. It sounds sort of like it might come from a horror film, but not quite. It's totally sort of in, in my mind. Eerie. At least. Yeah. Um, and, and really sort of un, unlike anything else that I've heard. And, and she, um, is you know arriving at a prison and she is meeting with a, a, a prisoner there who she says tells us she's going to bust out later that night, um, and he is um, this sort of ambiguous figure, Joe, uh, played by Dennis O'Keefe, who is meeting with another woman, and and this uh, sort of complicated love triangle, um, you know develops through the rest of the film um but that this this escape from prison um is is the is how the film opens and that's always interesting to the other the 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 other sort of um trope in movies that i love is just prison films um and especially when they force love brute force um yeah and and, uh, the, the sort of you know incarceration um psychology is just interesting to me i think which was maybe the you know we watched the trial this week as well it was maybe the most interesting thing to me about that movie which is otherwise very you know odd and ambiguous but that there's this sort of suggestion that the real prison is outside in in raw deal i think and so we don't see the escape take place we we just sort of see him you know kind of running out of the prison and 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 Trevor, you know, picks him up at that point. I think her character's name is, I wrote it down here. It's Pat, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Does that sound and her, right? And you? it's very unusual that the voiceover would be not of the main guy. No, well, normally for noir, it's like a 
um, what's it called? Like as a third person narrator, it's a narrator that has nothing to do with it. It's not a character. So f- for it to be her. Right. And yeah. There's sometimes that kind of police procedural. Is very compelling. Yeah. Narrator voice that carries through some of those films, but yeah, she, and it's, it's not, it, if I was going to compare it to something, I would maybe compare it to the Linda Mance voiceover in days of heaven or something like that, where she, she's not, the, the voiceover sort of suggests that she's the point of view character or the main character in the film, but she's really not that it, it often there are scenes in which she's not present for, but it just adds this whole other um, kind of perspective and element into the, into the movie and does very much center her experience, especially at the end of the movie where she kind of, um, where, where it really ends being about, ends up being about her. I think the, exactly. the movie does. Um, I do too. Even though it, it sort of does these throughout the story, does these strange kind of um, makes these strange kind of moves. There's a this jumping forward a little bit, but there's this you know they're hiding in the woods at one point. So basically, the the movie is a you know the, he they escape and um, and then are on the run uh, for, for the rest of the film and trying to get back to this the gangster who he took the fall for originally, who's going to pay him this sum of money played by Raymond Burr, who's this kind of pyromaniac. Yeah. (laughs) He looks like a, often is kind of framed like a refrigerator. He's just, he comes off looking enormous. Right. (laughs) And it also looks very young in the, in the film to me. Maybe I'm just used to seeing him um, as i I'm blanking on the, not code. Well, he was in, he was in rear window when he was a lot older. Right. I'm thinking of the but it, TV lawyer that he played. It's driving me oh. crazy. I'll think of it like somebody's Jacob, somebody who's listening is screaming at me. Yeah. Right <laughs> like, how could you not know? All he's, I can think yeah, of is Kojak and that's not it. No, he's like a big dude and he's like very, he's very measured in the way that he talks. Um, so you get the sense that he's intelligent. It's not just like he's, uh, all muscle. He has a strategy and he does not want to see this guy. He does not want to run into this guy at all. And he's very, very scared. Um, but also very kind of sadistic. He, and this is one of the very famous scenes from the film. He, he, he like, he's always playing with fire. He's lighting something. He's lighting candles. He's, um, he's lighting lighters. He lights this, it's cherry's Jubilee, I think a sort of a, a weird cocktail, like punch. He lights it on fire and, um, and ends up throwing it in the face of this woman, but really at the camera, it is how it's shot. Um, and it's this kind of horrific moment in a, a very shocking moment of, of violence in the film. Um, and, and so he's so you know they've escaped from prison, but they're trying to get um, to this guy. Um, and especially early, there's all this really interesting visual. The, so it's an Anthony Mann film, and the director of photography is is John Alton. And that combination for me is like some of the most interesting visual stuff. This film, T Men, um, and, and and a number of other films. Um, John Alton just does really fascinating things with light and smoke and um, reflections with like the clock. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, He he does beautiful reflection stuff because I think it's also that identity theme and like, you know, who's who, what type of woman do you associate with the one who'd break him out of prison versus the one who's trying to save him or fix him, what, however you want to say that, how, how do those sort of play? How does he play them? I think it's got that theme that you like. Yeah. Um, and, and even, and there's sort of a cynicism, I think in the film about, um, about this sort of, you know, these sort of normative domestic, uh, mm-hmm. ways of thinking about a relationship in a curious way. I think this is maybe a, a, a stretch in some ways, but they developed this kind of, um, you know, tense, but sort of polyamorous relationship in the car that he's, he's got this relationship that's different, very different with these two women who also have 
you know, a, a kind of antagonistic relationship with each other, but that's sort of where the film ultimately goes is Claire Trevor and accepting um, the, uh, the other character whose name I forgotten wrote, but wrote Anne, but played by Marsha Hunt, who is the, is the social worker who is attempting to get, uh, get Joe out of prison originally. And so she's the, 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 we sort of skipped over this, I guess the, when they're introduced, it's sort of like Claire Trevor's playing the, you know, his kind of um, accomplice, like he, she's his girlfriend or whatever. And, um, and is willing to commit crimes with him basically. Um, whereas Anne is, um, you know, trying to sort of go the legal route, but those the sort moral of moral route. <laughs> she has like a morality to her that that the other character doesn't. She's like, I'll do whatever he asks me. I'm here for him until the end. It doesn't right. matter. I'll do it. Right. right. Um, and she ultimately, you know, we see change her mind that she shoots somebody. You know, she she ends up kind of covering for him at times. And she'll sort of critique uh, the choices that he's making Um while she herself is kind of, you know, getting gradually wrapped into it. it is, so it's an interesting um, mm. kind of re gender reversal of the way that film noir sometimes will stage a femme fatale where, where you know, a, a, a spider woman is, you know, got her snares in some guy and is, and is dragging him to the dark side. It's not, it's, this isn't doing that really at all. It's that he is um, sort of, you know, dragging her over to this, um, kind of criminal thing. Um, and there, there, there's a lot of, anytime they're indoors in the film, it's always very dark. Um, and there's always these kind of spectacular lights coming from outside. Um, and, and there's often this sort of, which seems to me, it kind of accumulates into this, into this visual motif where there's this sort of, um, you know, suggestion that, that, you know, something in these maybe normative relationships or this push and pull that's going on is, um, is itself wrong, you know, and that the, 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 um, they're trying to break free of that or break out of that. Right. Um, and so they're always they're you know, through the movie, they're always on the move. They're trying to get to this, um, to this lunatic, uh, and it ends in kind of spectacular violent form that maybe I won't spoil, but, um, thank you, Jacob. Yeah. I'll try resist, resist the urge. No, uh, I was going to say also that it's not just that, um, the main character is sort of bringing her into the darkness or the criminal world. It's also that she's trying to bring him into the light. And then in her trying to do that, I think he realizes like, you need to go like, get out of here. Like, I know that you like me now. I know that you're like willing to be part of this world, but like, I know that you're good. And I know, like, I want to protect that. Like he comes around to thinking like, that's a precious thing as opposed to something that he wants to corrupt, which I think is very interesting because it says so much about him as character. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's really well said. Um, and there's that great scene where he, you know, they, she has committed this crime. She shoots a guy to sort of protect Joe. Um, and then he uh, kicks her out of the car. You remember this? And and he and she yes. and Claire Trevor dramatically, they're on this great, it's sort of unusual for a noir film, which we kind of associate with urban spaces, I think, but they're all these, you know, they're, they're on by the, by the ocean um, and out like West. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they trade places that he, he kicks her out of the car and, and tells her that she needs to leave. And, and Claire Trevor with that great voiceover and the theremin going kind of gets back into his car. So it's sort of as if at that moment in the film, she's kind of won the competition for, for his affection, it seems, but that's not really what has occurred. That's it's, that would be sort of the wrong way to, to think about it, even though it's kind of to, to Trevor's character, what has, what has happened. Um, but it's 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 really sort of exactly what you said that he's, um, you know, sees that there is something good that's that needs to be kind of protected or maintained. Um, yes, and he doesn't want her to be different for him. Right. That's right. that's it's, and almost um, also this sense that like 
what he deserves is the other woman. Like, like he's, he should be with someone who is already that way. Uh, so yeah. it just creates a very interesting dynamic, especially what happens after that. Cause I thought she was going to be gone. You know, I thought that was it. Right. Um, so they do a really good job of the storytelling too, to sort of keep you on your toes because you don't know if this guy's going to make it, but the guy, uh, Raymond's character owes him money and he's like, I'm going to go get this. I don't care. You know what happens to me? This is what I'm owed. Kind of reminded me of point blank in that way where the, the guy, he, he wasn't owed very much money, but like, right. damn it. He was going to have it. Like, it's like, why are you doing all this for like 20 grand? Right. You know, and that people are telling him that throughout the whole movie. And he's like, because it's what I'm owed. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. There's this kind of implication that there's the, this, um, you know, this code that he's abiding by or just this sort right. of, it's, it's not up to him. It's it, it, how he sort of discusses it. Um, mm. And, 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 and that's why it sort of remind you know, they almost kind of get away, almost escape. He sort of keeps talking through the film about how he just wants one breath. You know, he just wants to be able to breathe free. And, the, mm -hmm. and it seems within his ability to do that, they're going to get on the ship and go to Panama, I think. Um, and, and he describes, and you know, they decide to get married and he starts describing kind of, in sort of inarticulate form, well, maybe we'll get a you know house and there'll be a kid playing in the yard and this, but he sounds so sort of resigned and unenthusiastic, even as he's describing, mm -hmm. it. he's sort of smoking a cigarette and watching the sea and Claire Trevor is meanwhile, this is this great, you know, kind of really unforgettable shot in the film looking at the clock because there's this deadline that she has, uh, she, she knows about that's, uh, she's keeping from him basically and withholding. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he's describing these things and she's fixated on that. Um, and, and it, and it sort of is another one of these, you know, choices that he doesn't seem to really want to make, but that is just kind of structured out for him. Well, I guess we're, I guess we're supposed to get married and have kids, you know, this so again, going back to that kind of the noir theme in these films about, just sort of, um, you know, morally ambiguous attitudes about what were once kind of straightforward things. So now, now we've, now we're sort of not quite sure how we feel about, uh, what we were, um, you know, maybe happy to, to, to have before the war. I don't know if that makes sense, but just this sort of idea that mm -hmm. maybe the American dream isn't all it's cracked up to be is, uh, is I think something that the film is, is, is interested in. Um, it's always, and it's you know, very interesting. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. When he gets out of prison, it's just as if the regular world is a prison, you know, that he, he goes at all these into all these domestic spaces and, and even camps at one point. And it's as if, you know, that, that type of jail follows him thematically everywhere that marriage is another, you know, type of prison, maybe. Um, what were you going to say? Well, I really like how you put that. And I think that um, he sort of, it sort of ends by him sort of doing the ultimate ending, right. Where he uh, is free in a sense from anything ever entrapping him again. But I, I also really like that scene in particular when she's looking at the clock. You see someone who actually really loves him. Yeah. Like, and she's trying. It's basically s sacrificial love at that point. It's not what she wants, but she, she says this great line where she is narrating and she says that the song was his, but or the lyrics were his and the song was Anne's. Uh, so she knew that she wasn't this, the song, his song, basically. Right. And I thought that was so interesting to put in this context. Right. And it, it, and that is, that, that is thematically, you know, that kind of goes back to the narrow margin, this idea that, you know, they're, they're, he has this idea that they're meant to be together because they're both criminals or they're both bad, whatever that means, that they uh -huh. both don't fit into this kind of, normative world but that that but that that's not true you know that, that he, she can see in that moment that that's the wrong way to think about a, a relationship mm. basically um 
and it seemed it, it is sort of suggested throughout the the movie that you know he he Claire Trevor's character really loves Joe you know but Joe yes. really loves Anne it seems you know it's sort of classic love triangle in that sense um even though he he feels that he should be with Pat instead you know right. because of that because that's what the world maybe expects of of a criminal that he's that he's with another criminal basically and i think there's there's a certain degree of like that we're we are drawn to the type of person that would make us become better but we feel like we deserve the person that most re is where we are so it's like you're you want someone that would lift you up but then you feel like well but i should be with someone who's just like me if i'm a liar i should be with a liar uh or if i'm a killer i should be with a killer or what, what whatever you want to say that as right so that's that's an interesting dynamic as well yeah and that the and the film sort of suggests that's a kind of a trap i think or kind of a prison to to sort of think that way or feel that way or um, put it in those terms right right yeah, Raw Deal is fantastic and such a good title. Yeah. Raw Deal. Right. There's also a yeah. Schwarzenegger film that has nothing to is not a remake. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that's like nineteen ninety, I think, or something. Yeah, and it's not it is not this. No. Guys. And it's okay. The Hackman remake is, but oh yeah. Jacob, I can't imagine do you like those types of movies? I have Maybe every I have every I'm not Every this is an overstatement, but I almost have every Arnold Schwarzenegger film on VHS that can be had on VHS tape. I'm missing a few. I was, I was totally off there. What is your favorite? I have to know. Oh, it's got to be Terminator. You know, more than Predator. Maybe Predator. Predator that you could go okay. back and forth, but it was a. Yeah. It's a. You know, those a lot of those movies are so stupid, but Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger has a. Um, some kind of uncanny presence to me that is just goes beyond anything totally ridiculous you know just that that in so many of those movies it's like he's this schlubby the characters of this like schlubby every man for whatever even though he looks like he's like carved out of you know steel or what it makes no sense it just is so bizarre yeah he'll be like a, a the, the sheriff in a small town in Louisiana, but he has, and it's never explained how this Austrian bodybuilder ended up the sheriff of a small town. And I just, for whatever reason, that very entertains me very much. Oh no, you're not alone in this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Schwarzenegger is quite beloved. I have learned uh, when I didn't, when I wasn't crazy about total recall, I got slammed and I was like, I probably shouldn't, uh, Shouldn't bug guys about Schwarzenegger, Arnie. He's kind of precious to to dudes in particular. Yeah, I think there may be a, a generation of uh, of dudes. I think there. I think you're on to. I think you're on to something for sure. Yeah, but he's so that's funny. Great. I think that's what I think. To me, what's entertaining or what makes him more interesting is that he's funniest. I think when he's really just sincerely trying to act you know and that there's something very amusing about that there's Whereas, like a silliness there, there's a not to terminator though i would say right but right. like predator or commando or even total recall i feel like there's a silliness in those films that um yeah. you you take him seriously he takes himself seriously and that makes it even funnier yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah Okay, so uh, the the hidden gem that I chose for from the best film you've never seen uh, book is a movie called The Trial, made in 1962, directed by Orson Welles. This is one that um, so in this book, every director chooses a film. The director who chose this one was Frank Oz. Oddly enough, um, because I guess I think Orson Welles was in the Muppet movie. Oh. That's not like. <laughs> why he did it but he loved wells um apparently i read this morning but um he he chose this movie um because he said that that the way in which it's executed is just brilliant and phenomenal and makes you feel uh the exact intended way 
that the character Joseph K feels. Um, and then uh, he had an interesting line. He said that um, something that Orson Welles said uh, was that when you write a play, it's for the audience, but when you make a movie, it's for yourself. Hmm. So this is a movie that he felt he made for himself in, without an audience in mind as much as Wells could do such a thing. Cause I know he cared about his audience, but you know, it, it, it was something that was like a passion project basically. Uh, so actually Jacob watched it. Did you watch it today or very recently? I, you watched it a long last, time. Yeah. Last night. Yeah. And you'd never seen it either. Cause this was a first time watch for me too. Yeah. I have a, a friend of mine. Um, this is one of his favorite films. And, um, I did, I had a, I think we both said before we started recording, maybe complicated feelings about it, but, um, mm. I think I, I, I certainly felt, um, you know, this kind of irritated sense throughout a lot of the the film. It has a very sort of shrill sonic quality to it in in the dialogue mm. there's this sort of tense um you know the movie opens on anthony perkins who plays joseph k this like uh, office drone basically being awakened yes. by this investigator um and questioned and and you sort of and it and, and it really doesn't that's actually i just realized that's not how the movie opens it starts with this weird sort of parable with the animation with the door and, yeah. the, and the waiting at the door Right. Yeah, and the angel at the at the gates, and then they never open the door. Right. Right. Uh, but then the, right. the movie proper kind of opens on him being awakened by this investigator, and and you know being asked all these insane questions, and it seems and he has very reasonable answers, but the the questions just sort of continue being suspicious, and you do just kind of immediately you're kind of like yourself sort of irritated with him and stressed out. Stressed. It's stressful. Yeah. Um, mm. and, and so it's very unpleasant to watch. I think, is that how you sort of experienced it? Yeah. And it also feels claustrophobic again, like all these movies we're talking about. Uh, it's almost like an Alice in Wonderland vibe where like the ceilings are really low. Like yeah. you feel like people are too big. They're either too big for their spaces or too small for their spaces. Like Alice in that room when she eats it and she gets too big. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you, and then, um, yeah, it's this bizarre where they're speaking English, obviously, but there's a cadence to it that feels very strange. It's off. Yeah. And the, the and whole time. In part, that's, you know, I sort of changed how I felt about it as I was watching. I think that it, there were times in which mm. it seemed like, I'll maybe cop, cop to something heretical where there are a lot of Italian films from the 1960s that I have trouble getting into because the sound is so bad that it's there's the, the recordings of the dialogue are so it sounds like it's recorded in a backpack or something. And I just sort of, that keeps me out of it. And this sort of has that element of it, but it almost started to seem as it, as it went, you know, kind of dislocating in an intentional way that was a that was sort of effective I think where you know even the faces of the people don't quite match the things coming out of their mouth in a in a the dubbing it looks dubbed kind of like yeah. in those Italian films <laughs> right um and yeah I mean so in in those in those in the ways that that you're kind of describing it is very effective there are all these just incredible locations and and oh settings gosh these sort of yeah. Soviet um, industrial spaces or, you know, places with just lots of refuse around. There's this incredible, you know, the bed that Orson Welles character is kind of reclined in throughout part of the film is this bizarre. It almost looks like a, it came from a, the throne of a Chinese emperor or something like that, but it's just this weird piece of furniture in a, in a sort of a office uh, waiting room is how it look is how it sort of comes off these very impossible almost surreal um and sort of beautiful but but frightening places um 
which is what I liked most about the movie. I think there's the, the, the architecture and the, the exactly places that were shown. Um, even though it, it did make you, it was sort of, you know, begging me to turn it off or walk away at times. I did find myself kind of like, I went out and made it, made some coffee at one point and I was like, I think I'm not even going to pause it. I'm just going to let it keep, <laughs> let just, it keep going. You were just, so disoriented. I just need to get back, yeah. for the, uh, kind of back off from it for, for a while. Um, yeah. A lot of it was like in an abandoned train station. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, Wells has just such like a tragic uh, trajectory in terms of just how much he wanted to do and how constrained he was and everything just seemed to go wrong for this guy. But, th- but that adds to sort of the, the mythical quality, the mythos of Wells, you know, that, that he had so much difficulty and wasn't given any, anything free and anything sort of easy. Um, but another quote that Frank Oz said that he said was that he was always seeking maximum discomfort. Uh, so there's a sense that he enjoys trying to do something that's way outside of his constraints and limitations and is actually inspired by that to a certain extent. And then he makes this majestic film that's just so otherworldly and, and engulfing that you can just get lost in. Um, and it just is, I don't know. I don't think anyone else could have done it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, that it, this is maybe one of those cases where the more we, the more we discuss it, the more kind of interested I am in it, you know, where it, it's <laughs> un, unpleasant to watch, but that, but, you know, these things that you're saying, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, I like that. You know, that's interesting. Uh-huh.